I'd like to welcome you to Redwood this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Kurt, and I am just honored that you're here. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're honored that you're here, that you braved uh, the, the smoke and the fog. It was so bad this morning from the like two-mile stretch from my house here that I got a Jeep. You know, the hood of the Jeep's like three feet long, and I could barely see the front of the Jeep. It was so <laughs> combination of that smoke trapping the fog, and but it's flannel shirt weather, so I'm okay with that. My wife made fun of me for pulling the flannel shirt out this morning, but that's all right, you know, you do what you got to do this time of the year. Uh, before we jump into the um, sermon this morning, I wanted to give you uh, an update. Several of you, several of you have asked, uh, as you know, last week we uh, made the announcement to open the church as a um, fire evacuation shelter, um, and it kind of both ways on this, but I'm happy to report we haven't been needed. Um, you know, I say that, you go to the work and, and, and put the stuff in and get the volunteers and, and nobody comes to take part, but that's a good thing. So um, as a result of that, several churches across town, uh, or a result of that and the fact that several churches across town have opened their doors, uh, we're going to go ahead and pause ours. Um, and if you're still interested in donating or uh, contributing manpower, let us know and we're going to refer you to one of them. Um, just to, to help each other out. We had a few churches help us out. In fact, half the stuff that was brought was brought by people who don't attend here. They just saw our post and wanted to help. So we're going to start referring people to some of the other churches in town and just share our, our manpower and our, our resources. Um, we are going to continue to re-engage and start again tomorrow using the building, the, the multi-purpose room, as uh, kind of a distance learning center for school uh, students who don't have internet access at home. Um, so if you know somebody who does, or if you are a, a family and you don't have good internet access at home, you can come here from 9 uh, a.m. to 1 p.m. Monday through Thursday uh, to, to set up and do that. We, we've got tables set up and, and a space set up for that, so uh, you can take advantage of that this week. Hey, we're glad that you're here. <clears throat> this is uh, week two of this series we're doing called Speaking Oki. Um, I know we're out here in the Pacific Northwest, out here on the West Coast, and, and on and on and on, but... You know, I've got my Oklahoma roots that don't, don't go away very easily. And, and the purpose of this series is to look at a few of the, the sayings I grew up with that the people in my neck of the woods like to say that sometimes have a little extra meaning than just the words that you see or hear. And I told you this last week, Oklahoma is this weird crossroads. Um, to some degree, I identify as more of a Midwesterner. Some Okies are going to identify more as Southerners. Some are going to identify more as they're from the Southwest and on and on and on. And so I kind of decided, I, I guess I'm like a southern Midwesterner, if you really want to get, get down to it. And, and I realized that because I catch myself saying things all the time that I used to make fun of other people for saying. And so I want to introduce you to two words today that you can uh, hopefully start putting into your own vernacular as you go about. Here's the first word. This is a great Midwestern word. It's ope. Um... Ope is a word you say without realizing that you're saying it. And usually it's like you're walking and you start to bump into ope. That's ope. That's all it is. It's ope. It's kind of like our version of oops or sorry. And ope almost always precedes something else. Ope, didn't see you standing there. Ope, I'm sorry, I forgot that you were over there. Ope, let me just squeeze right past you. That's a good one if you're trying to get around somebody. Usually you're squeezing past them to get more gravy or the ranch dressing if you're back in the Midwest. But I heard somebody say this uh, once, and I thought, you know what? I don't, I don't think I've ever said ope in my life. 
And you know how it is. Once you start thinking of something, you realize it. I realize I think I say it about 15 times an hour every day. And uh, somebody said every time a Midwesterner says ope, a new corn stalk pops up somewhere in rural Illinois. <laughs> um, so that's, that's a good one. But uh, last week I talked about a few things that, that were oaky. Here's a couple more things that, that as an oaky you, you uh, just kind of have ingrained in you. Uh, when a tornado siren goes off at 11 a.m. on a clear weekday morning, there's a split second of sheer terror until you remember that it's Wednesday, and that's when they test the sirens uh, you know, every week to make sure that those are okay. And if a tornado actually does come during that time, it's not allowed to hurt you or tear up your house. That's just the rules, okay? This is testing time. You don't get to do anything to us, okay? Also, if you compliment somebody from Oklahoma on a new possession that, that they've acquired, it's customary for that Oklahoman to let you know that they got that item at a significant discount from its retail price. <laughs> That's just the way we, we go about doing things. Here's another word I want to introduce you all to. I just said it, y'all. I don't hear y'all out here quite as much as uh, you know, I'm used to hearing it. But y'all basically is a contraction, obviously, of the words you all. And it just refers to multiple people. But there's levels of y'all, okay? Y'all is, is like, like, that's one thing, but there's levels of y'all. So there's y'all, then there's you-ins. That's y'all plus two or three more. Usually you-ins kind of refers to maybe like a whole family or a group of kids. And then if there's a big group, like right here, it's all y'all. All y'all. So like right here, it's maybe y'all, and then it's, it's all y'all. So I uh, just want you to know this so that you, if you ever you know, make your way to Oklahoma, you know how to speak the language, okay? Last week, we looked at the phrase, bless your heart, and I told you that it's not a blessing. It's um, kind of a backhanded compliment, so to speak. Um, and we talked about judging others. Today, we're going to look at this great phrase that probably extends well beyond Oklahoma and the Midwest, and it's the phrase, hold your horses. Now, I used this last week as an example of somebody getting angry, and like that's kind of a response to somebody getting angry. Hold your horses has a few meanings, and, and anger is one of them. You see somebody starting to get angry, now just hold your horses, calm down, take a step back, take a breath. But there's a few other ways uh, that this is used. The ones that I heard most often growing up was, hold your horses is a response to tell you to slow down and avoid rushing into a decision that's really stupid. That's how I often heard it from my parents. Uh, hey, you haven't really thought this through, okay? Step back, hold your horses. And another way that we can use this, and probably should use it more often, hold your horses, it's, it's a good reminder for us when we're just rushing through life and not stopping, and not pausing. That's kind of what we're going to look at today, because we're going to look today at a specific command that we're given that we're not very good at obeying, and that's Sabbath. Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It's something that we see throughout Scripture, and it's probably the one thing all of us as Christians are the most guilty of breaking on a regular basis. And I'm just going to say it right off the bat. Sabbath sounds like a fun little break. It sounds like a bit of a vacation. Sabbath isn't a suggestion. Sabbath is a command. This isn't like, hey, you should take a day off. It's like, no, you are commanded to stop and sit down and rest. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is one of them. 
And what I love about the way the Ten Commandments are presented in Scripture, in Exodus chapter 20, the first three have to do with us and God. They're simple. He says, don't have any other gods before me. Don't worship idols and don't misuse God's name. Those are the first three. And then the last six have to do with us and other people. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. And right in between those two little subgroups of us to God and us to others is this in Exodus 20, verse 8. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household should do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now we think about this. These first three commandments connect us to God. They have us looking upward. Honor God. Love God. Uh, you know, don't have any other gods before him. It's, it's, it's looking upward to heaven. The last six are us to each other. They have us looking outward. And what I love about this is between where we look upward and look outward, that's where heaven meets earth. That's the Sabbath. That's where God comes to us and gives us an opportunity and a place to block out the chaos, to block out the, the self-created just nonsense and noise, and he gives us this, this created space to be with him. He gives us this created space to enjoy his presence and his creation and not worry about all of the rest of it. But here's the problem. Most of us aren't good at holding our horses. Most of us are more interested in horsepower. Now, what do I mean by that? We're interested in how fast we can go, how long we can go, and how much we can get done. And we wear that as a badge of honor, right? I mean, not, not just if you're caught up in the corporate world, but we just wear that as a badge of honor. Like, look how hard I worked, and look how much I accomplished, and look what I did, and on and on and on. You know, and, and, and we talk about that. You know, that that's kind of our Americanness coming out. We want to show how good we did it. We want to show how much we, we got accomplished, how hard we worked. And, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with hard work. But here's the problem. When we start to do that, we allow our own busyness, we allow our own created world around us to start to dictate our schedules, and, and it determines how and when and where we pause, if we pause. And especially those of us maybe who work where... The amount of work you do determines how much money you're going to get. Like I've got some friends who do sales, and they talk about, I mean, you almost work around the clock. If, if you're not working, you're not making money. It's tough when you've got a family to support or when, you know, inflation goes up or all this stuff, right? There's a lot of things at play here. But here's what we need to, to think about. When you allow that to become your norm, when you allow that to determine how and where and when you take a break, what you're basically saying is, well, if I get this project done, I'll, I'll, I'll take a break. Or when the busyness slows down, I'll, I'll take a break. Or if I can just impress everybody a little bit more, I'll, I'll take a break. Or, or you know what, if, if I just make sure all these other people are taken care of, I'll take a break. Here's a problem. Life gets us in a hurry, and it's an easy trap to fall into. 
Life is loud, it's busy, it's chaotic. But God is good. And God welcomes you to come to Him for rest and for a break. That's why in the midst of chaos and loudness in His own world, God said this to David in Psalm 46. He said, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. God wants to remind us that we need to step back, that we need to remember that He is God and we aren't, that He created the world and we didn't. He created a perfect world that we try to make better somehow. We try to tweak this or tweak that to to make it better than what God did in the first place, but we need to remember who He truly is and who we really are, and when we do that, we find rest and peace in Him. That's why in the, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, in Psalm 23, it says this in verses 2 and 3, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. That's what you get walking alongside God. You get rest and peace and refreshment. I think too often we kind of forget that God created world, the world or our world, to be lived with margins. You understand the point of margins, right? Margins on a sheet of paper, they, they keep everything kind of centered. Uh, think about shoulders on the side of the road. They protect us. They give us a little bit extra cushion in case we drift off. You know, you can get back into the road really quickly. That's why there's guardrails up. See, life has margins and, and guardrails and shoulders, too. And Sabbath keeps us pushed back into the center of the road where we're supposed to be, as opposed to drifting off into a dangerous area. Keeps us from burning out. And the problem is if we live without margins, all we focus on is the busyness and the hurry of the traffic around us. And here's the problem with hurry. Hurry pushes us past our limits. I mean, let's be honest, folks. We're all limited. We all have a cap on what we can accomplish and how much we can do and how much life we can live. Without boundaries, we push past that and we burn out. Or, or life also pushes us beyond what fills us. You think about this, you th- think about like a watering can. <clears throat> you know, it, it's got the spout that comes out kind of from the middle. And think about this, if we just pour that, that, the water into the top of that watering can, it's never going to fully fill up, because it's just going to continue to go up that spout and out the side. And that's what life without margins does for us. We need to stop every so often and quit pouring ourselves out just enough to get filled back up and let God fill us so that we can then fill others. If you don't get yourself filled up, you can't fill others as well. And here's the issue with our busyness. I think too often, for a lot of us, it's not the corporate rat race. It's not the let's see how much money we can make or, or, or how great we can grow a business. It's not even that. Too often where we get ourselves so focused is that we're focused on helping others to the point where we don't help ourselves. We don't allow anybody else else to help us. We're so focused maybe on ministry that we forget the point of ministry. Uh, You have a friend who used to say this all the time. He said, sometimes we're too worried about working for the church that we forget we're the church. We get too focused on ministry that we forget sometimes we need to be ministered to. We need to pause. We need to stop. And I say that because that's exactly what Jesus did. 
Matthew chapter 14 is a great example. Jesus uh, has, has just learned the death, uh, learned about the death of John the Baptist. And it, it hits him, and he's, he's hurting. And it says this in, in chapter 14, verse uh, 13, it says, When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He needed time alone, away from the crowds. Jesus is at the peak of his popularity. And he has thousands and thousands of followers everywhere he goes. And he just needed to retreat and withdraw privately to a solitary place. But if you know the story, you know what happens. They found him quickly. The crowd showed up, 5,000 men plus women and children. So what's Jesus do? He feeds them, takes the fish and the loaves, and he multiplies it, and he feeds them. And he pours that into them for several more hours, and on and on and on. So what's he do after this is all over with? Well, verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. Now, if you know the story, it continues on. He's not left alone again because his disciples get in trouble and he's got to go save them. But Jesus made a point regularly to try and get away and rest and just push pause. I mean, if like Jesus did this, like I probably should pay attention to it and do it too, Right? Like, there's nothing going on in my life and in my world that can't wait until tomorrow. And folks, i got to be honest. This is something I have to remind myself of because I'm not very good at doing this either. None of us, I think, are are very good at this unless we really, truly make it a, a point to pause and stop and remember our place in all of this. See, Jesus paused, and and by him pausing, it reminds me of what we said a few minutes ago. Sabbath is not just a suggestion, it's a commandment. It's something we are required to do. And I think it helps if we look at the word Sabbath, because Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which literally translates to cease, to stop, to pause, to quit, to just, whatever you're doing, stop doing it. I think sometimes we think of Sabbath as being this time where we just sit on the couch and kick our feet up and, okay, I'm not going to do anything at all today. And that's not necessarily what Sabbath is. I think it means we stop our normal. We stop our routine. We stop our busyness. We stop what we're caught up in. See, if you go on through the law, the, the, the Sabbath continued beyond just stop on this day and keep it holy. It extended well beyond that. In fact, the Israelites were even told, when you plant your fields, every seventh year, let this field rest. Alternate between fields. If you're a farmer, you get this. You have, I've seen this throughout uh, the Midwest, where you see a cornfield that this year isn't planted. But what was the purpose of that? Every seventh year, you're not going to plant this particular field. Well, it served two purposes. One, it's a practical uh, purpose. It, it lets the field rest because it's been worked hard every year. It lets it rest and lets it recuperate and restore its nutrients so that next year it's going to be healthy to plant your crops again. But the second purpose is a little more theological. It reminds the Israelites that although you have this land, it's not actually yours. It belongs to God. He's letting you use it. I think the same applies to this body that he gave me, that he gave you. It's his that he's allowing me to use. So I should take care of it. I should let it rest. I should pause and I should stop every once in a while. So how can we do this? How can we practically keep Sabbath, make it a point? Here's three easy, simple ways we can do this. First, 
intentionally take time every day for scripture and prayer. Every day. Start your day off, end your day with it. It doesn't matter to me. Whatever works for you. Get up a little bit earlier, 30 minutes earlier to read your Bible and pray. Stay up 30 minutes earlier to end your day in prayer or scripture. But if you're not allowing God to speak through his word and to speak through stopping and listening for his voice on a daily basis, then you can't really get upset with God when you get bogged down in the chaos and the craziness of life. You've got to build that margin into your life. This is what Jesus did. He went up on the mountainside to pray. Jesus read the scriptures. Like Jesus helped write the scriptures, but he paused and read them. He knew them. He's the son of God. He is God. And he's so paused to read. A second uh, practical way that you can make sure you're keeping the Sabbath and holding your horses is you can connect with others. Add in time to connect with others. Community is important, especially right now with what's going on in our world. We spent the last six months trying to avoid people. And it's having an effect on us. So find time for community, whether that's a small group, whether that's a... uh, Meeting somebody for lunch on a regular basis. Meeting somebody for coffee on a regular basis. Folks, the places in town may not have all their tables open, but you can still get in. Go grab a cup of coffee or have somebody over. Isolation is good in small doses. But folks, we were never meant to just run this life alone. Okay? And third, third way you can hold your horses and keep the Sabbath is add in time to take care of yourself. Now, I know this is kind of a bit of a touchy t- uh, topic with some people, because for some people, it's be a little too much time on this, some don't do any, and there's always an opinion of, well, maybe you should be working or thinking about other people, not just yourself all the time. Well, I think that's true, but I think you've got to pause and let your own bucket get filled from time to time as well, because if not, you're going to run out very quickly. So find an activity that you can do that can recharge you mentally, physically, and spiritually. Find something that you can do that's not laborsome. doesn't mean it can't be hard work. One of the things I like to do to try to get my mind off of things is go to the gym. That's hard work. I come home sore, (laughs) tired, but it's a different kind of sore and tired. Maybe for you, when, when the smoke's gone, it's hiking or rafting in the summertime, spending time outdoors. Maybe it's doing a hobby. I know for some people it's woodworking or it's, it's knitting or it's cooking. I mean, there's a variety of, of activities you can do. Sometimes for me, it's as simple as sitting on the couch and mindlessly watching something just to completely get everything else out of my mind for 30 minutes. Find something that you can do that allows you to refresh and recharge. Folks, the world wants you to stay focused on it and its problems that it's going to give you. But there's good news. I like to say this a lot. We weren't created for this world. We were created for the kingdom and to live with God. And we need to create boundaries so that we can set a time to recharge and live with God. Colossians chapter 3, the apostle Paul tells us to set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We're going to wrap up this a little bit differently this morning, and we're going to to wrap this up by taking a moment and pausing and spending some time in prayer. I'm going to ask the elders, actually, if they would come up here and join me, Um, and um, 
Jay, I'm going to grab this wireless for this part, but you guys are aware of just what all is, is uh, going on across the world and across our community. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pause, and, and I'm going to ask these guys to all uh, pray, and I ask you guys to join, join us. Um, but um, I'm going to ask Richard if, if he would pray for the wildfire situation um, that's going on with the fires that we have raging for the people who have lost life and homes, lost loved ones, and for rain. I, I, I sometimes feel guilty asking God for above and beyond. But right now I'm just like, God, just send rain. Pour it down on us, man. We could use it, we could need it. I'm going to ask Matt uh, after this if he would pray for our students and our teachers. And as Matt begins to pray, I want to invite, if you're a teacher or a student who is beginning the school year, to come forward and just come right down here. And and we're just going to put our hands towards you and pray today. Because you guys are facing a school year that has never been faced in our country. And I'm going to tell you this, if you're a parent, if you're a parent with a school uh, student in the room today, I'm just going to tell you this point blank. Do not complain about your students' teachers this year. Do not. Um, I was a teacher for five years. You guys knew this. I dealt with parent complaints that were ridiculous in normal times. They are facing something that I would never, ever want to face as a teacher. They don't even have everything fully fleshed out because it's still changing on a regular basis. So if you've got a complaint about your child's teacher this year, tell it to God. Let him take care of it. So when Matt prays for our students and our teachers in our school year, I'm going to invite students and teachers, if you're in the room, come forward that we can pray with you. And then I'm going to ask Jeff if he would close this out by praying for our leadership in our state, in our country, with an election coming up. I don't have to tell you guys this. There's politicians that you like and you don't like. We're going to pray for all of them. Because whatever happens in the next two months, whoever sets in Salem or in Washington, D.C., Jesus is our Lord. God is in control. And it's our duty not to complain or criticize, but to pray and pray and pray. So I'm going to ask Richard if he would, would pray for the situation with our fires. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you right now and, and ask that you would uh, take care of the situation with the fires and, and the smoke and, and how it's affecting people with their health and some that are really struggling with have breathing problems. And God, I, I ask that you would touch them physically, help them through this. God, for people that have lost their homes and been displaced, I ask that you would give them a, a, a good place to, to land even if it's temporary, Lord God, be with them. God, we've been asking for rain for a while, how dry everything is and, and how the rain would really clear up the air and, and take away the fire danger. God, we ask that you would just pour it out upon us this week. Bless us, Lord God, and watch over these people. As uh Matt prepares to pray. If you're a student or teacher, would you, would you mind coming forward? We want to just, we want to recognize who you are. We want to see who we can be praying for throughout the course of this school year. So we've got some students, some teachers. 
You guys are about to face something that none of us have faced. And, and we're going to pray that God would be with you, that we, as a church, be with you all too. Father, we, uh, we want to lift up these, uh, these teachers, these students, Father, to you. Um, we want to put them in your hands uh, for you to care for. We trust that uh, you will work in their lives, you will work through them. We pray that uh, uh, just this, this uh, new situation we're in, Father, where we've never faced this before, and we know students are struggling, struggling to, uh, to find a connection with their friends and their teachers. Many, many of them look forward to getting to school and, and, and the physical contact and physical closeness that they have with their, their friends and their fellow students, and, and especially with those teachers that um, care so much for them. Father, help them to... To, to find a way to do that, just meet that need, Father, and fill that gap for them. And, and for our teachers, Father, we, we just pray a special blessing that you would help them to, uh, to stay driven, to care for our kids, Father, to, to love them and, and to see them receive the educations they need, Father. Uh, just encourage their hearts, um, help them to, uh, to be able to just trust you through this and, and relax and rest um, in your goodness and, and for, that, uh, for that to be able to flow out into our children and for them to to still be able to uh, to see uh, their teacher even from a distance and, and find the comfort and care that they need for, from them. We just put them in your hands today, Father, and trust uh, that you are working everything out for the good of all of us who, who love you and are called according to your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Don't forget, too, these are our older students. We've got several younger ones down the hall in, in class right now. Um, so be praying for those younger ones as, as well, too. Heavenly Father, I just want to take this opportunity to pray for our leaders in our country, our leadership within our community. Father, this is not a time for hatred, judgments, opinions. This is a time that we all come together and make a decision on who leads our country, who leads our communities. And Father, help us to dig deep within our hearts, help us decide what we need to do to move forward. Because our freedom, our freedom here uh, is under attack, Lord. And only you have the answers for all of the tension, uh, the disagreements, and um, the future of our country. Lord, I just want to praise your name because I know that you're within our communities, where you're within our people, and you're within our leadership. Father, I pray for this upcoming election. Help it uh, to pan out to a, a, a ending result where we have leadership that's going to take our values uh, to heart. And Lord, we just praise your name, and we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.